A couple weeks back, we were in a series called Modern Life, and we were dealing with the seductions of modern life and the way that that has a, a corroding influence on the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about the three things briefly that we talked about. I want to connect some dots for you because what the tracks that I laid also impact the way that we approach an election cycle and the kind of people that we vote for. First principle was this. We're not going to trade personal preference for scriptural authority. Which means when you go to the voting booth, it's really not a matter of personal preference. It's really a matter of which candidate's views and agenda and policy lines up with Scripture the best. Now, we know we live in a fallen world. There is no perfect candidate. No one's going to, we're not, Jesus isn't running for office, right? Um, but our job is to line up uh, important policy issues with the scriptures. And at the end of the day, it's not about personal preference. It's not about whatever your, your group says you should vote for. We vote for the kingdom of God. Amen. And that's important. We also said, don't trade bits and pieces for the whole. What I mean by that is, you know, many people today are just staying away. In fact, even some Christian voices are telling you to sit out from this election. I think that's the most pitiful, terrible advice that you could possibly ever receive. Because listen to me, government and politics in general is part of the bits and pieces that some people want to nicely take out of their Christian worldview. But you can't take that out. It's an important part. It's created by God. It exists for His glory. How in the world are we going to take that out and pretend like we're just going to sit this out? Your voice is important. Your impact is important. Issues are important. The future is important. And you've got to choose the whole, not the bits and pieces. Lastly, I said we can't, we can't take the secular over the supernatural. And can I just remind us, the reason we're praying, the reason we're sharing Jesus, listen, the reason we preach the gospel on these issues, and we say, thus saith the Lord, is because the power to transform people is in the gospel. And if we lose the gospel, and if we lose the power of the Holy Spirit, and we lose the supernatural nature of the kingdom of God, and we rely on natural things, we're doomed. So I just want to tell you, we're not relying on the strength of human beings or votes or all these things alone. We're saying, God Almighty, we need you to change the hearts and lives of people in America. We need an awakening. We need a fresh fire in the church today. Saints, when we're singing that song, I can't live without your presence. Did any of you sense a sense of like urgency, hunger, uh, you know, the presence of God, like how desperately we need the Lord? I mean, that's who we are as God's people. And so we cannot trade secular means or natural means for the move of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say loudly and clearly, that, that's what we're relying on, uh, is the supernatural power and presence of God, the, the authority that backs His Word. I also said a couple weeks ago uh, that when it comes to government engagement, our absence from the public arena robs God of His glory. Why? Because God made government. And God deserves to get glory out of government. Where is he going to get glory from government if godly people are not expressing their viewpoints and godly people are not leading us? So if we're in a bad situation, or some of you find that it's a distasteful presidential choice, either or, I just want to tell you, let's own it and let's do a better job in the future of raising up better candidates who maybe more fully represent our views. But we can't sit back and go, tisk tisk, what a shame. Own it. Take responsibility. We're the people of God. Our absence also, I said, robs the community of his goodness. How many of you believe the gospel is good news for everybody? And how many of you believe ideas have consequences? Bad ideas have bad consequences. 
Good ideas have great consequences, not just for Christians, for everybody. And so if we remove ourselves from the public arena, even though it's toxic and nasty, if we remove ourselves, what we're doing is we're removing the goodness of God from our communities. God forbid that that happens. We believe that Jesus brings good news and hope for people. Amen? Third thing, and I want to drive this home because I didn't quite get to it as much as I wanted to, but the absence, our absence from public involvement signifies a failure to steward the blessings that we've been given. We have been given unparalleled blessings in this nation. Those blessings will not automatically materialize from generation to generation to generation. It takes vigilance. It takes hard work. It takes involvement. And to whom much has been given, much is required. Amen? Much has been given to us, and much is required. I believe this, and say amen if you do too. Psalm 33, verse 12 from the Amplified. Blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored is the nation whose God is the Lord. I'm going to say that again, because blessed, fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God is the nation who honors God, who puts Him first, who cares about what He thinks. That's the word of the Lord. And listen to me, that applies to any nation on planet Earth that will take God at His word and honor Him. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want, us to, I want to pull you out beyond the two-party system that sometimes constrains us, and I want to begin to connect some dots between, ready for this, God's truth and public policy. How I many you know if God speaks about something, then whatever He says is true with a capital T? which means it's true for everybody. It means if you listen to what he says, blessed, fortunate, happy, and to be envied are you. All right? So that's what I want to do. I want to encourage you as we approach this election. Many of you have already voted. I understand that. For those of you that haven't, let me encourage you this morning. Don't focus on personalities. Personalities are like the icing on the cake. Personalities are not our biggest issue at all. You might not like certain personalities, all right? Sometimes in the church, we don't like certain personalities. Guess what? We still love each other and we still come to church. That's not the issue. Deal with it. Don't focus on politicians. They're not the issue. Don't focus on all the political shenanigans that are going on and all the mainstream media and everything else that's happening. Ready for this? Focus on policy ideas. Because at the end of the day, I don't care what the politician is like, what he or she says or does, at the end of the day, there is a platform that the entire party is pushing. You need to know their vision for America. You need to know what their goals and plans are. Because listen, at the end of the day, it's not just who gets to be president that matters. It's the entire movement of folks that are pushing an agenda. And that agenda is going to impact you. So let's get beyond this and that and personalities and all that. Stop it. That stuff matters nothing. What matters is what do you do when you get in power? Now listen, we all want nice people. We all want godly people. We all want people with Christian character. But look at what they stand for. Now let me quickly say this too. I I really need to say this. You really need to hear me. This church is committed to loving broken people. If you're broken, which by the way, Jesus, remember, he had a little sarcastic statement to the Pharisees. He said, I didn't come for you. I came for sick people. (laughs) The Pharisees were some of the sickest. They just didn't know it. Jesus was saying this, I came 
for broken people. Look to the person next to you and just say, I'm glad he came for you. All right, just tell them, I'm glad he came for you. All right, just so we all know, we all need Jesus. There aren't any like really big sinners, really little sinners. There's just sinners here today. And guess what? Jesus is a friend of sinners. Who are we? In fact, that was one of the meanest things the Pharisees said about him. You're a friend of those kind of people. Praise the Lord. We want to be friends of sinners because we are one. And we all got redeemed. Amen. So I just want to say this with a smile on my face. What I'm going to preach to you in a moment is not an attack on people. And you need to hear this. This is a critical distinction. I told you a couple weeks ago, while we love people, we hate bad ideas. And I use the word hate intentionally. We hate bad ideas because bad ideas hurt people and destroy people. The Bible says, take authority over every thought. Take thoughts captives. Anything that doesn't come into obedience with Jesus Christ, bring it down. It's a violent bringing down because people matter. And, uh, and what we believe matters, and ideas really do have consequences. I want to start by asking you this question. You know, it used to be that we could have these nice, you know, Thanksgiving table debates about policy matters, because at the end of the day, politicians, whether you're a D or you're an R, you could at the end of the day go out and have lunch together and still be friends. How many of you know it seems like those days are long gone in our culture today? Because here's why. We shared a common worldview, basically a Judeo-Christian worldview, and we could agree to disagree on things like how do we care for the poor. But how many of you know both parties want to care for the poor? We could talk about how much money we should budget for the military. Some parties differed on that. We could talk about how many taxes, how much our tax rate should be and how much taxes we have to pay and all those kinds of things. We could talk about why we need a balanced budget or some people could argue that we should never balance the budget. The point is there was a lot of areas where we could agree to disagree. Here's the question I want to ask you today. Based on the teachings of Scripture, are there certain policies that we simply cannot ever support as Christian people who love Jesus and who love the Word of God? That's the question I'm asking. And secondly, are there certain biblical lines that can never be crossed? In other words, you simply don't ever cross that line if that politician is standing for something that you know the Bible specifically condemns. Now, can I get back to point number one on the modern seductions? I'm going to talk to you about what I call the Holy Trinity of non-negotiables. These are not gray areas. They're only gray areas if, you've gone, if you're going to a church that embraces preference over spiritual authority. You're only, these are only gray areas if you're in a church that's full of compromise and you're more concerned with pleasing people than you are with moving in the fear of the Lord. So the Bible is real clear about certain things. And I want to begin by just reminding us the purpose of government from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Self-evident is a fancy word that says any idiot should be able to understand this. All men are created equal, and they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And this is important. To secure these God-given rights, governments are instituted among men 
deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So this is saying, hey, this is the truth. We have been created by God. God precedes government. God creates us in His image and likeness. Therefore, we have incredible worth. God gives rights. Politician, when you hear politicians saying, we have the right to this, the right to that, that's just stupid po- political talk. God gives certain rights, and they come from Him, and they're not sustainable or, or dependent upon any other human. Any supposed right that's dependent on somebody else or somebody else's money isn't a right. It's a political perversion. God gives rights, and listen to this, the purpose of the government is to defend your God-given rights. You are not a slave and a servant. The government exists to serve you. The government exists to protect your God-given rights. And when governments fail to do that, they need to be removed. When people don't get that, they need to be removed from office. And so I'm talking to you this morning in the time we have left, and I'm going to talk fast, so listen fast. I'm going to talk about three non-negotiables, and let me begin with point number one. This is the biggest of the non-negotiables. This is the sanctity of life. Listen to Psalm 139. I'm not going to try to lay a big, deep biblical foundation on any of these. All of these are multiple sermons in themselves. I can't go there, but I will lay some scripture. Listen to this beautiful language. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Jeremiah 1, verse 5, God says, I knew you, Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb. How many of you know life is precious? Life is sacred. Life is a gift from God. And this is what I love about our Christian worldview. This is what makes America great. This comes directly from our Christian worldview. Every single human being has inherent worth, not because of what they do or what they accomplish or who they are or what family they're born or how much money they make. They have inherent worth because they're made in the image and likeness of God, the most precious being in the universe. That's the foundation. So, the fact that we have dignity and value means obviously that from the womb until the grave, every phase of life, we love people. People are holy. People are sacred. People are people that have incredible worth and value. And we need to protect life and we need to love life. Now listen, when we get this wrong, And sometimes when we talk about the issue of abortion, for instance, I've heard people say, you Christians are single vote people. You can't get off the abortion issue. Let, Let me help you out. Let's pretend that a wonderful young man is interested in your daughter. All right. And uh, she comes home. She says, dad, this guy is amazing. He's so cute. He's so cute. How many of you know that as you get older, that's not all that important. All right. I mean, I realize 
Okay, but I'm going, okay, tell me something more than this little guy is cute. Okay, he's cute. Oh, and he's so smart, and he's such a hard worker, and he's so polite, and on and on and on. She's listing all this wonderful guy's qualities, and then she says, you know, but there's one thing that kind of concerns me a little bit. Well, what's that, honey? Well, we start talking about hobbies. Oh, okay, well, what's he like to do? Well, his favorite thing to do is torture puppies. How many of you know, I don't care how cute he is at that point, because this guy is a sicko. In other words, that single issue disqualifies him from consideration being my daughter's boyfriend, husband, or whatever this is going. Like, deal over. Of course, I raise my kids. They like puppies. They know better than to date somebody that's a sicko like that, all right? You hear what I'm saying? If you can't get life right... You don't get my vote. And I'm telling you, you shouldn't get your vote. Now, for the politically imperceptive, I just, I just narrowed the voting pool by at least 50%, all right? Because we actually have people whose platform encourages abortion all the way up through the full term, nine months of pregnancy, and if the child is born alive and, and overcomes the abortion, we're going to let that living baby die. This is wickedness. This is not a gray area. How in the world do you go into the voting booth and cast a vote for somebody who doesn't understand that the first of our freedoms from God is life? Nothing else matters if you're dead. Nothing else matters if you cannot live. And this goes on, can I just say, that when we have embraced this type of view of dealing with uh, unwanted pregnancies, unexpected pregnancies, whatever we want to call them, how I many you know every pregnancy in God's eyes is not unwanted or unexpected? God knows what he's doing. Um, but here's the point. When we embrace this kind of mentality, it creates a coarseness that goes through our entire society. And we've seen this. We have a situation now. There are some Scandinavian countries that boast that there are no children born in their countries that are dealing with Down syndrome. Because Down syndrome babies, in their eyes, are not perfect and therefore they have no value. But how many of you know in God's eyes, every baby is valuable. Even a baby that only exists for a few moments in your arms is valuable. Even a baby that never lived outside of the womb is valuable. God says human life is valuable. That is the message of God's people. We should be drawing a firm line. We should be screaming the loudest. We should be making sure nobody gets our vote with that policy. I have a friend from Pakistan, and he just posted something that broke my heart. And any father in this room, any man in this room, that whether you have a daughter or not, should be heartbroken about this. He said his, in his community, in his church family back in Pakistan, a seventh grader, Christian girl, kidnapped off the streets, forced into Islam, forced to lie about her age so that she would be 18, Married to a man she's never met in her life and will probably be sexually abused under the guise of marriage. Seventh grade girl. We have sex trafficking 
going on all across this nation. Let me tell you, why is it that young ladies would be trafficked? I'll tell you why. Because we lost the value of life. Because we've been calloused. Why is it that men can be addicted to pornography and keep looking at women being violated and used and abused and not be broken over that, not be, not be absolutely destroyed by that? It's because we've lost the sensitivity to the value of life. And so all across the globe, people are being aborted, people are being mistreated, and we're seeing, how about this even in America? We're seeing a, a rise of violence in this country like I've never seen before. I mean wickedness. I'm watching people throwing their live children out the window because they don't want to be parents any longer. Parents suffocating their living children. People shooting one another and mistreating one another. We're living in a day and age that is so dark. And I'm telling you, if you don't think that our view of abortion impacts our view of life all the way through the spectrum, you're crazy. When we allow this to happen and we embrace it and we allow serial killers in our community to function like Planned Parenthood and we got Christians that are supporting these kind of organizations, we have lost our moral compass. We should be screaming the loudest about this and not tolerating this. And God forbid we ever cast a vote for somebody that endorses and promotes that. And I'm not going into details this week. You can come back next week for the details. <laughs> Euthanasia, when, when elderly people no longer contribute to society when they have dementia or they have some other problem and now they become a burden to our society because we have socialized medicine. Oh, now I'm really getting into it. Yeah, now we're going to do dollar cost averaging and figure out whether somebody's valuable enough to stay alive. This is sick, demonic, anti-life stuff that happens from the womb all the way to our seniors and it's ruining America and we shouldn't support it one iota. I got to move on. Second point. Second point. Is the sacredness of marriage. Marriage is the first institution created by God. It was established before government came into being. It was even established before the local church. This church loves marriages. The reason we love marriages is because, you know what? Your marriage was intended to come together. You and your lovely wife, you were intended to come together and to create offspring, to have children. And where do those children learn the values of Jesus and the kingdom of God and virtue and all these other things we talked about last week? They learn that in the context of the family. The family is so important. How we define the family is important. How we support with public policy the family is so critically important. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 8. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who claims to be the way and the truth and the life with a capital T truth. This is Jesus defining marriage. Now, this verse is important because it's pregnant with a lot of issues that we're dealing with today. Number one, notice Jesus says male and female. He addresses the topic of gender identity. Anybody hear that issue today being bantered around? Secondly, he deals with marriage. He says you're going to be joined together. Marriage has three historic components. First of all, monogamy. We don't practice polygamy. We practice monogamy. One man, one woman. 
Secondly is exclusivity. When I asked my wife, would she marry me? And she agreed. It was a good day for me. All right, when she said that. Uh, I promised that she would be my exclusive love of my life, that I would commit to her. And the last uh, component is, com- is uh, permanence. In other words, God has established the marriage covenant as the playground for sexual expression. We're not just picking on homosexuality today or some of these issues. I'm telling you, any sexual expression outside of the covenant of marriage is wicked and we should be standing against it. We've got to regain purity in the local church. We've got to, we've got to recapture a sexual ethic that is gone in the larger culture and gone in most churches. So I come together, I make a covenant with this woman, I choose to love her for the rest of my life. Out of this covenant union, guess what that gives us the possibility of having? Offspring, children who carry our image and carry the image of their father, their heavenly father. This is very important. How many of you know you cannot have children apart from a man and a woman coming together? We are accused of being anti-science all the time. Hello? We're not anti-science. Anytime you find a baby, you will find a mom close by, and you should find a father close by as well because it takes a good mom and a good dad to raise a family. That's the goal. That's the perfect ideal. That's not a slam to anybody here that's a single parent doing their best to raise kids. But that, this is God. We're raising the standard again for what should be happening. So I want you to notice how Satan attacks everything uh, in this passage. I want you to look at it in reverse order. Have you all figured out that going on beneath the headlines and beneath the evening news and beneath even uh, uh, national elections, there's spiritual warfare going on in this nation for the hearts and souls and minds of people. There's a cosmic warfare going on that's real. There's a real devil. He hates people. You know who he hates? He hates people who are made in the image and likeness of God. You know who he hates the most? He hates God the most. He hates the glory of God. And so he intentionally attacks things that God loves and that God has created for our good and for his glory. Let me show you how this works in reverse. The first thing that he goes after is the fruit of our union uh, in marriage, and that's abortion and the destruction of innocent human life. The next thing he goes after is marriage itself. And so we have in America today the full embrace of gay marriage. And I'm not going to get into all the details of the fallout from that. I'll touch on some of them, but this is an incredibly serious thing. The third thing he goes after is sexual orientation, gender identity. And we're living in a day and age when, please hear me, many of you have family members who are struggling with this or who, because of the toxicity of our culture, have fully embraced this as something good and normal and something they should be expressing. Please hear our heart. We will stand with you. We will pray with you. But we will not ever compromise preaching of the gospel because, listen, it's the gospel that has the power to change people. And so if we don't, if we keep telling people lies, if we keep telling people lies and they don't know who they are, we've even got something now like 50 different genders. I mean, you can't even keep up with this stuff. I saw a sign at Whole Foods, Whole Foods, saying, please don't talk to the cashiers like, hey, thank you, her or him, or use pronouns like that because you might be offending somebody who might have one of those 50 pronouns. I can't even keep up with the insanity that's going on in our culture today. And then we have businesses promoting this kind of nonsense. We're not helping people who are struggling. We're not helping them at all. 
Marriage is more than just a union of hearts and minds. It's a union of bodies. And you know what? God has ordained that the male body and the female body come together in a way. And we don't have to get into health class here this morning, but you understand. It's not like we give, you know, wet willies to everybody and that that's marriage. You know, no, no, no. That's not how it works. This is, this is a serious matter. And any form of aberrant behavior outside of the context of marriage has always, for Christians, been very clear. This is not how we act. That's not how God wants us to express our sexuality. I just want to say again, even though our nation has embraced gay marriage, gay marriage is not marriage at all. It is not marriage at all. It is an attack on the glory of God and it's an attack on the institution of marriage. And if you, I just want to encourage, I'm going to, I'm leaving all my bullets, all right? I'm shooting them all this morning. Well, not all. I'm shooting all that I can fit in before time runs out. If you think we can sit back and have this laissez-faire kind of compromise where Christians just need to be nice and not being so dogmatic and not take the Bible so seriously and that somehow everything's going to work out and we're all going to get along happily ever after, you got another thing coming. How many of you figured out that those people who scream for tolerance the loudest are the most intolerant people on planet Earth? The goal is not tolerance. We're already doing that. The goal is not acceptance, which we should not do. We accept people, but we don't accept lifestyles. The goal on the other side is that we celebrate, that we all join the party, that we all clap, and that we all say, isn't this wonderful? And how many of you know as Christian people, we can't do that? We cannot call what God says is evil, we cannot call it good. And we cannot compromise on these areas at all. In fact, can I just remind you all of something? If you want to be relevant, go to the point where things are most controversial. There's a reason why things are controversial. Because they matter. And I'm amazed that the church today will not touch these issues from the pulpit as if somehow they're going to magically go away. Or if we talk about this, these issues, we're somehow being not nice. Can I just tell you, we need to have a passion for the presence of God, the glory of God, the love of God, the love of His Word. All that spills over into a love for people. If we believe that what God says about these things is true, then how could I not trumpet these things to the larger culture? Because I love people, not because I hate people or I'm trying to be mean to people. Your freedom to decide what your grandchildren and your children are taught in schools is right now under attack. I just saw, you know, fortunately, can I just say this too? When you are part of a church that speaks up, people take notice. When you are in a community where the, ch where the church has done its job well and there are many believers in the community, that spills over into electing great people on your school board, great people as teachers, great people as superintendents. And here's what happens. It creates a barrier from keeping a lot of perverse and deviant stuff from coming into your schools. If you're silent, it all just seeps in like sewage. You have to speak. And let me just tell you, speaking is not mean. Speaking means things matter. Speaking means that the Word of God matters, that what God says about things matters. And so we speak on behalf of the Lord. We open up our mouths and we stand for truth. But do you know that on some of the coasts, I just saw a curriculum in the public schools for elementary school kids. It's all done in cartoons, of course. Uh, but it's pictures of how to have sexual intercourse for elementary schoolers. And if you Christian people go to the school board and raise your hand and say, what is this? 
You will be the one castigated. You'll be the one called weird, perverted, whatever. Uh, and you'll be the one called a bigot. That's just the way it works now, especially in liberal states. Everything's been turned on its head. You are now the pervert for simply suggesting that some behavior should not be taught and promoted to elementary school kids, for God's sake. But that's where we're at today. I'm telling you that our government, including our Supreme Court, has a solemn duty of government to protect this most sacred institution from both deterioration and from redefinition. Here's why our children's lives and our country's future depend upon this. We need to make sure we're still fighting. I just had, this is spilling over into my next point. A lot of these points overlap because they go together. I said life is non-negotiable. I said marriage should be non-negotiable. Let me tell you why. I was down a lot of this public debate, and this is what I said. If we don't have a definition for marriage, the other side, hey, everybody should be able to marry. If you, if you love each other, you should be able to marriage, be married. Okay. But what if you love like five people? Can you marry all of them? What if you love your dog? What if you love the three-year-old kid next door? I mean, when we lose the definition of marriage, marriage means nothing. And when we lose marriage, we lose the, the, the cornerstone of every healthy civilization. So here's my question to you. How can we stay out of these fights if you care about things like your life, your future, your kids, the health of your nation, the freedoms that we have? And I just got to say something. I am so sick and tired of pastors making stupid comments like this. Well, you know, other Christians and other nations, they don't even think about government. You know why? Because they don't have a voice. Other Christians in other nations, they're being persecuted and we just need to suck it up and be persecuted too. Why in the world would you hand over the greatest nation on planet earth with the greatest freedoms you've ever had so that you can be persecuted like everybody else? No, why don't, why don't you not be a coward now? Open your mouth now. Come on. Amen. I would rather attack the wolves out there before they're coming in here. I would rather have the courage to stand up when we still have a chance than when we've had all of our liberties stripped from us. And sometimes it takes more courage to stand up when everything is still good because it might cost you something than wait until we're all persecuted and then we're all excited because we're being persecuted together, which to me sounds like a really stupid thing. I'd rather go help the persecuted. I'd rather be what America was called to be. I'd rather go liberate the captives. I'd rather go, my heart broke when this Pakistani father He's talking about what happened to his seventh grade girl at his church. My heart broke. I had a holy anger inside of me. And here's the problem. He has no legal recourse whatsoever. Because there's no such thing, which is my third point, the security of religious liberty. There's no such thing as religious liberty when you're a persecuted minority. So you know what they'll do? They'll go to the government authorities They'll complain. The government will say, we'll take care of it. They'll do nothing. 
And if they continue to complain, they will become persecuted themselves. That's the way most of the world lives. I don't want to live in a nation like that, not because I'm afraid, but because I value freedom. I'm not going to live in a nation like that when that kind of injustice happens. And when you've got people in other countries experiencing horrific things from their governments, and we have great government and great liberty, and we don't do anything, that is a, that is a, a major indictment of our culture. It's an indictment of the pulpit that we don't say anything because we don't want to offend people. I am, here's what I'm telling you today. There's three kinds of people you cannot vote for. And if that offends you, I'm sorry. But I care more about the big picture. I care more about the glory of God. I care about my kids. I care about this nation. I care about the atmosphere. I care about 50 years from now if God tarries in this country. That's what I care about. I'm not going to compartmentalize Jesus into some little Sunday school Jesus where we're doing our flannel graphs while the culture goes to hell and act like it doesn't matter. It matters. It matters. Government is supposed to be protecting your God-given liberties, not attacking your God-given liberties. Somebody needs to remind them of that when they forget and they step over the line. When someone's talking about a woman's right to this or talking about this right to this and it's ungodly, somebody needs to say, no, that's not a right. And we're not going to tolerate it. We've got to speak out when liberty is threatened, and religious liberty requires constant vigilance and protection. How many of you know the state has no business to coerce consciences, and they cannot compel belief? I'm so sick and tired. The last administration got me so fired up, and you know what? This election here might get me fired up again. When we got the government pushing socialized medicine and saying, no, you will pay for abortion, I don't care what your personal beliefs are. You will pay for contraception. I don't care what you believe. When your federal government is forcing you to violate your beliefs, I'm telling you that is tyranny. We should have been screaming like crazy. Remember when Hobby Lobby was threatened to get closed because of their policies as related to marriage and family and sexuality. I wanted to rally the whole church. and I'm, I like Hobby Lobby. How about you? When we got people saying, oh, Chick-fil-A can't open their business here because you guys are bigots. Why are they bigots? Because they believe in marriage between a man and a woman. Are you nuts? And we, we have communities that won't let them come in. I'm like, I oh, know I like my chicken. <laughs> Marion can have her Hobby Lobby. I'm going to have chicken. And I'm going to fight for those things. Because you know what? They're coming after you next for standing up for your beliefs. Unless you don't care about them. You can be silent. You can be cowardly. You cannot say anything. And you know what? It won't matter until the great day when you stand before God. It'll matter to your kids, though. It'll matter to your grandkids because there's a lot at stake. I'm telling you, religious liberty is huge. And I'm going to be honest with you here. When you hear government talking about non-discrimination, that's code for get ready because you're the one that's going to be discriminated against. Whenever you hear that word, our wonderful governor, years ago, he was saying, Indiana is a place where there's no discrimination. And when I met with him, I said, please don't use that word. We make discriminations all the time. 
Every law makes discriminations. You make choices between good and evil every day. Discrimination is not a bad word. We need to be morally astute. We need to discriminate between good and evil. But I'm just going to tell you this quickly. The biggest threat to your religious liberties is the LGBTQ movement and agenda in America today. I just had a friend of ours, a member here, whose wonderful uh, child is leading a church plant up north, a state to the north of us. A homosexual man looked online to see what this church was. It came from a certain denomination, like most Christian denominations, who have believed that homosexuality is a sin for two millennia. I don't have to go into the verses on that. It's pretty clear. God calls it an abomination. It's a perversion. This man got upset because this church was in there. They weren't preaching that. They weren't trying to be mean to anybody. That wasn't even the message. They're just trying to have church. He contacted the leaders of that community and uh, the, the community board. Even though this church had a contract that goes all the way into the middle of next year, they were told to be out of the community center by the end of this month. What was their crime? They never were even talked to by the community leaders. Never even given a, a time to share, to talk what's going on. They have a contract. Now they're out. Now some Christians and some pastors would just go, you know, we'll just take it on the chin. We'll just find a new place. I'm telling you, you keep giving away your rights piecemeal by piecemeal, and eventually you'll have none. What just happened was incredible injustice. There should be at the next school board or next community board, there should be more Christians than they can fit in that, in that building. Saying, what in the world are you doing to these good people? Because religious liberty means not just that you can believe what you want, but that you have the freedom to live out your beliefs. That applies to everybody, not just to Christians. Not what we believe. Oh, it's nice in here, isn't it? We all say, yay, we believe that. Yay, yay, yay. This is nothing. This is singing of the choir. Out there, you have to have the freedom to say, you know what? I love Jesus. I, I respectfully disagree with you on that position. And you know what? I have the right to respectfully disagree with you. Because this is America, not communist China, not the former Soviet Union, not North Korea. We're Americans. We're a free people. The government exists to protect our liberties, not to attack us. We've got Christian business owners being fined, driven out of business, simply because they won't bake a cake that supports a marriage that they don't believe is a marriage. We should be able, and you should be able in the marketplace, to live out your faith freely without worrying about government attacking you, fining you, maligning you, suing you. And I, could, I, I have a document that's about that thick of all the cases of religious liberty attacks in America that are increasing. They're on the rise. Don't think it's not going to eventually come right here in our own backyard. So you ready for this? As you vote, make sure you vote for life. Make sure you vote for marriage and for gender identity, male and female. And make sure you vote for religious liberty, the first freedom, the cornerstone freedom, the freedom that all of our other freedoms are based upon. 
So you're saying, Pastor, why didn't you pick this issue or this issue? Well, there's all kinds of amazing issues we could talk about today, and they all could be spoken to from a biblical perspective, and that, that would be valid. But I'm telling you, in my mind, those three right there, I draw the line. And here's my point. If we don't have candidates that are right on those three issues, then we need to raise up some new ones. But I'm not ever going to vote for evil. With me on that? I'm not going to vote for evil. I'm not going to, again, we're not voting for Jesus, but I'm not going to vote for evil. Because some of these things create a toxicity in our culture that destroys life for all of us. We can't allow that to happen. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with us this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Uh, this is something I hope you know is a, a burden, uh, not just a sermon, a burden. I hope you're burdened with, we need an awakening badly. Let it start with us. In fact, I want to pray that, Lord, as we sang about how much we need your presence, I ask you, Lord, to come put a fire in us. We love people. We love you. We love our country. We're patriotic. We, we love the thinking about a future that's good and not a future that's negative and, and depressing, Lord. Because we're Christians, we're God lovers, we live in a great nation, Lord. Father, you know how weak everything has become with life and marriage and liberty. And Lord, we just pray that you'd put a backbone in all of us and a mouth in all of us to speak and represent you, Lord, in the culture today. So Father, help us as we walk out of these doors. It's easy in here, we all love each other. It's hard when we walk out the, the doors into the public arena where maybe our views will be attacked or will be attacked. But Jesus, help us to be, remain faithful to you. God, save America. Save people. Let us continue to be a light set on a hill. Let us be a beacon of freedom for the rest of the world to emulate. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and our King. And everybody said, Amen.